Thank you, Mira and Jim, and thank you, Becky, for reading it for us this morning. George Bailey just wants to travel. All throughout the movie, that's all he wants, to get out of Bedford Falls and see just how wonderful life in the big, wide world might be. Go to college. Go fight in the war, go traveling and see the world, Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum, the three greatest sounds in the world, he says to his Uncle Billy at one point. Our anchor chains, airplane motors, and train whistles. If you've seen the movie, then you know he never does. Of course. He never leaves Bedford Falls. His father's death, his brother's marriage, own and own and own. George's hopes of walking away from Bedford Falls gets foiled by circumstances outside of his control. Even on the day of his wedding, There's a run on the banks in town, so he has to rush to his family's building and loan office in order to calm a jittery crowd that is demanding their deposits. You're thinking about this all wrong, he tells them. Your money's not here in the safe in the back. Your money is in Joe's house down the street from yours, and it's in the Kennedy's house across town, and Miss Macklin's house, and a hundred others all around us. And so what we've got to do now is stick together, he tells them. We've just got to have faith in one another And we will be fine. It's a good speech. But good speeches can't help people pay their bills and keep their families fed. And in the pre-credit card days of the early 20th century, cash was king. So if you've ever actually seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, then you know that the day isn't truly saved until his wife Mary shows up with the cash that they had set aside for their honeymoon. And they share it with all of their neighbors. For all of the confused young people with us today, cash was this green paper that old people like me used to carry around and show one another to let them know how much money we had in our Venmo accounts. All George wants to do is get away, go explore, see incredible things. And yet at every turn he is thwarted, cooped up, 
He says at one point, kept there in Bedford Falls with Bert the cop and Ernie the taxi driver and his poor Uncle Billy and all of the rest of them. He is frustrated at every turn until finally we meet him there on Christmas Eve, staring down at the river from the bridge outside of town. It's a Wonderful Life really is a good movie. If you haven't seen it, or if you haven't seen it in a while, then you ought to find some time over these next couple of weeks and watch it. It's sweet. And yet, even as sweet as it is, it also refuses to flinch from some of the darkest, most painful aspects of life. As I looked back at it this week, the tone of it actually reminded me of the current TV series, Ted Lasso. Something else that is well worth your time, although fair warning, Ted Lasso might expand your vocabulary a little bit. Both stories are essentially comedies. They're fun, funny, heartwarming in moments, and yet at the same time, both stories also deal with some of the heaviest subjects there are. Depression, anxiety, death. And they can do that. They can hold all of these things in tension, the beauty and the brokenness of life together, because at the center of both of these stories is the powerful love of a community. Our 1 Corinthians text this morning is focused on that same kind of love. Throughout his letter to the Corinthians, Paul speaks to the importance of community in different ways. And here in chapter 12, he does so through the metaphor of a human body. This would have been a familiar move to his readers. It was common in the Roman Empire for public officials and public orators to talk about communities as bodies, but they did so for different reasons. They did so in order to highlight the distinctions between body parts, to point out how some were higher than others, more important than others, and how some were therefore lower. How some were clean and some were dirty and some were protected and some worked harder and to show how all of those different dynamics were good and natural and right. 
They use the metaphor of the body selfishly in order to remind everyone around them who it was who was on the top and who it was who was on the bottom and how it always needed to stay that way. But not Paul. Paul here in 1 Corinthians does something very, very different. Yes, in this chapter, he talks about the differences between body parts, eyes and ears, hands, feet, and so on. And he even talks about how some look to be naturally higher and others naturally lower, but the upshot for him is elsewhere. It is not on their separateness that Paul is focused, but instead on their togetherness. On how in a body, even as every piece is unique, there are no natural divisions between them. It is all one body, one flesh, knit together in one life. And what is more, when any one piece is injured, the whole rest of the body gets affected. You stub your toe and you cry out in pain. You hit your thumb with a hammer and your eyes begin to water. You get a migraine headache. And all the rest of you is laid up for the rest of the day. That is a body. And that's a community, Paul tells them. That is what Paul needs the Corinthians to understand about themselves. And that is also what George Bailey needs to understand as well. I don't want to spoil the movie in case some of you really haven't yet seen it, but as George stands there on that bridge looking down into the river below, he is at the lowest point in his life. All he has ever wanted to do is get away from Bedford Falls, and every time he has had that chance, at the last minute the chance has slipped through his fingers. He gave his college tuition to his kid brother. He gave the cash for his honeymoon to keep his neighbors afloat during the banking crisis. He gave and he gave and he gave. He wanted to go someplace exciting. Build skyscrapers a hundred stories high, bridges a mile long, but all he ever got was his hometown and his family's failing building and loan. Something that he was just barely savvy enough to keep afloat. And something that on this night he is sure he has just killed. 
And on that night, as George wanders alone through the snow, through the lights, through the music, through the decorations, after all, y'all, this is Christmas Eve. He feels like he is the loneliest, most wretched, most solitary person on earth. But he's missed something. You see, in the midst of all of his dreams of going somewhere else to see great things and moving somewhere else to build great things, George Bailey has in fact built something great right there at home. But he has missed it. He's missed all of the signs that have been around him over the years. He has even failed to hear it in his own words when he was explaining to those panicky crowds about their money, how they had invested in one another's lives, how their money wasn't just sitting around in some bank vault collecting dust, but instead lived was alive, alive in the homes of their neighbors, making a difference in the lives of their families, reaping dividends that no bank and no stockbroker could ever dream of offering them. Time and again in this movie, George Bailey is said to be the smartest man in town, and yet he has consistently missed something that is as plain as the nose on his face. Through all of his kindness, his generosity, through all of his investments in the lives of his neighbors, he has built a community around him that is greater than anything he would have hoped to have seen on his travels. Colosseum, the Parthenon, any of it. And in the end, it is that community that comes together and saves him. Because just as he had done for each one of them over the years when they realized that one of their own was suffering, To use Paul's metaphor, the entire body felt that same pain and came together to take care of it. Because that is how a body functions. That is what a community does. Friends, it is just about noon, which means that it is just about lunchtime, and woe to the one who stands between a room of Baptists and an after-service meal. But as we give thanks this day, As we give thanks this week and especially on this coming Thursday and in every week and on every Thursday and on every other day 
to come. Let's not forget to give thanks both for what we have and also for what all we can do with it. Let's give thanks for all that God has given us, our time, our talents, our resources, all of it. And let's also give thanks for the opportunities that we have to share those good things with the people around us in Christ's body. To build a community with one another to invest in one another's lives, and to be blessed enough to have friends who invest in ours just as well. On Christmas Eve, 1945, George Bailey learns the most incredible thing that any of us could ever possibly know. That his life and his story and his fate is knit together with the lives and the stories and the fates of the people around him who love him. Who love him in ways that he wasn't aware of and in ways that he could have never possibly dreamed. And y'all... Look around. Because the same can be said for us. Thanks be to God. Amen.